0: Hello, hi uh welcome to our show. I'm Lauren, and I have here with me Alana Hello, Alana Cravallo, who is a best friend yes and also a therapist mm-hmm. and I have you know been very blessed not only to have her as a friend but to really have her as somebody that um has been on this mental health journey alongside of me since 2008, really.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so Alana and I have uh, had the blessing mm-hmm. of working with the same therapist. Mm-hmm. Her name was Stephanie Hagedorn, yes. and she was out of Red Bank, New Jersey, mm-hmm. uh, and she's somebody who's still very important in our lives. Unfortunately, we lost her on this physical earth, uh, back in 2013. Yeah. Um, but we are excited to be here together today. Yes. Uh, it's sort of a meshing of two different podcasts, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Originally, I had Alana come here today. We thought we were going to listen to and then comment on my first attempt at a podcast. <laughs> Which was with Which my is husband.' We'll do. Yes, yeah. we will still do it. We'll come back around to it um due to I guess, technical challenges. We're putting that off for now. But that was going to be us um, commenting on the um, argument that we get into <laughs> within the first three minutes of our show. And Alana has a she's in the process of writing her first book. Woo-hoo. Could you tell me about the name of the book?
1: Yes, yeah, so the book is called The Codependent Perfectionist Guide to Parenting. Um, and the idea being um me seeing myself as or speaking of myself as the codependent perfectionist. Um and there are two kind of labels, I guess you could say, but two um pieces of understanding that I have about myself that um I initially got from Stephanie in our work together. But have really come to inform kind of how I see myself and also how I work with my clients because I tend to see a lot of people who are also struggling with codependency and perfectionism. And my one of my passions is just working with people on understanding what those two things are and how they impact us in our lives. So...
0: I don't know if it was the first session with Stephanie or maybe just a couple in. And um, therapy was very new to me at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, You know, I didn't tell my family I was going to therapy Mm -hmm. because it wasn't really something that seemed acceptable or necessary. Um, And so I remember specifically what we were talking about when I first heard the word codependent. Um, I was going to be going to Hawaii, and there was not going to be very much cell service. Mm-hmm. And I was telling Stephanie how um, my mom was insisting that I get a phone right. that I could use from Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And then she said the word codependent. And mm-hmm. I remember feeling not only slightly confused, but also very triggered in that moment. Sure. I felt defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, before we started this show, we did talk about how... Um, defining codependency can be challenging. Yeah. So maybe you could attempt to talk about what codependency is, mm-hmm. but also you could maybe use, if it helps, that example of like sure. needing to appease my mother yeah. as an example of codependency.
1: Yeah, I want to even go back to the first thing that you said um, about the stigma of going into therapy, mm-hmm. you know, um, feeling like you know, you didn't really have a reason to come in or, you know, it didn't make sense or whatever. But I often find, especially with people who are dealing with these issues that they feel like or we feel like, because I'm one of them, that, you know, it's not a legitimate reason to come into therapy. Like, there's nothing that wrong with us or, you know, life isn't that bad. But these are are big issues. They really impact us, like, on a day-to-day, you know, level. And so... I think we really underestimate, as a society, how our relational issues impact us. And my hope through some of this work and speaking about it is that it really helps people see the importance of going to therapy to work on this this stuff. Um, and hopefully through talking about it in this podcast and in this series that it really helps people understand how it might be impacting them and and really... I can't stress the, you know, for myself in this journey and understanding my own codependency um, and my own perfectionism issues, how well and or how much that's brought me um, closer to myself of who I really am, and then how that's allowed me to like experience freedom and true connection with myself and true connection with others so I just I just want to put that out there first mm-hmm. because I just think that that's such an important point and um, such a, it's, a, it's a big reason that people don't go into therapy
0: yeah I mean I remember when I think I finally did tell my parents mm-hmm. my mom kind of half jokingly was like oh what are you there just complaining about me or <laughs> you know right blaming your life on me kind mm-hmm. of thing and mm-hmm. I think that that's Also, yeah, that's codependency, right? Absolutely, it's like living your life to make other people comfortable. Sure, yeah, I
1: mean, not going into therapy because of fear of how other people will feel about it is is a codependent issue, right there, right? So, to go back to the example that you provided, when Stephanie said to you that you know your desire to make sure your mom was okay by getting this you know, cell phone and her trying to kind of, you know, of course, as a parent, this is where it always, I right. always run into trouble with people right. because people say, oh, well, I'm a parent, of course I care about my kids and, and I want to know how they're doing. And sure, you know, I, I'm a parent myself and of course, you know, I care how my kids are doing and it's important to make sure they're okay and all of that stuff. But there's a, there's a line that we pass when we need to know that our kids are okay, And what I think Stephanie was trying to say to you in that moment is that there was a codependency going on with your mom and you and then you with your mom, Mm -hmm. right? And so the piece of your mom with you is that your mom needed to make sure you were okay, needed to know that you were okay at all times instead of trusting that, you know, you probably were okay and that you would get in touch with her as you could. And, you know, if anything was wrong, you would have someone reach out to her and make sure she knew. But you being in Hawaii and her being in New Jersey, there's really nothing that she could do anyway, right? So, like, sometimes we give ourselves this illusion of control or ability to, you know, we need to know that someone's okay and so we have to have our cell phones on us all the time. And I'm guilty of that too, having young kids. Like, I want to make sure my kids are okay. And I, I recognize that as a codependency coming up within me like I really can't actually control whether they're okay or not um and if I'm not with them there's really nothing I could do in that exact moment anyway so that piece of it you know is your mom's stuff right and then the piece of you trying to appease her and make sure she's okay in that is your stuff right right? and like Mm -hmm. That's where we have to separate excuse me separate out like the codependency of one person and another. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard to see where one ends and one begins. Right. But your piece of it is feeding it. Right. Feeding the codependency with mom, right? Of like, yes, I do have to get that phone and I do have to make sure she knows I'm okay, instead of saying like, "Hey mom, you know, listen, I'll do my best." you know, I'll let you know as often as I can how I'm doing, but not to take on those anxious and worried feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's what we often do with our parents. Like we take on their fear. We take on what's going on for them. And then it becomes what's going on for us. And that's really what codependency is about. It's, it can be called like an enmeshment with another person where we're not clearly separating out what's your stuff and what's my stuff and when it's parent child it's tough because as parents we really impact like our children's development in so many ways and when we're in a codependency with them we have a tendency to really like dump a lot of our feelings onto them and it's so not conscious necessarily like a lot of this stuff goes on way below our level of awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't mean to do it, but it's what happens. And it's not necessarily malicious, but it becomes overwhelming for the child. Mm-hmm. And, and in your case, the adult child. Right. Could you give um, some examples, some more examples
0: of what codependency would look like, either in, an, in a parent, young child, mm-hmm parent-teenager or any of those?
1: Yeah, so um, one of the hallmarks of of codependency is when um, we are kind of letting our fear um, trickle down onto our children and then maybe prohibiting them from taking part in activities or doing things that... Might actually be healthy for them or good for them, or they might enjoy because of our own reaction to it. Okay. Um, which is a big difference from something that's legitimately concerning. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So, like, a good example might be um, I was meeting with a client yesterday who was talking to me about um, his parent not allowing him to play soccer. Right. And really, there was no like, true legitimate concern other than she didn't want him to get hurt right which is valid of course like we don't want our kids to get hurt but the reality was in his situation that he was dying to play soccer and it he probably wasn't going to get that hurt playing soccer it's not like he was going to you know chase buses down the street or do something that would put him in true like danger where we would go like no that's not okay he really wanted to play an activity that was very age appropriate made sense yeah maybe he would break an ankle or do something like that but those things are normal with kids you know we have Mm -hmm. to allow for that kind of stuff um and in that situation her inability to deal with the potential of him being hurt that's the codependent piece right and then acting it out in a way where then prohibiting him from taking part in an activity um, and kind of, you know, then kind of spewing her fear onto him, this is where it all kind of gets muddy. Right. So I was going to – as soon as you were telling this
0: story, mm-hmm. the codependent part of me went into the mind of my mom or right. a mom right. who's hearing, oh, my child is talking to a therapist about how I wouldn't let them play soccer. <laughs> yeah. Like, could you believe it? And um, – did that really have an effect on his life? Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about how having that experience could play out in different ways throughout now this man's life?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's no, excuse me, the thing with how some of this stuff works is that there's no specific avenue to say, well, if that happens, this is exactly how it's going to play out, Mm -hmm. right? It's very complicated and complex and it's connected with genetics and temperament and birth order. There's so many things that kind of go into how um, issues like this play out, right? So this isn't necessarily this huge traumatic wounding of his, but it is a wounding, right? Because it's a place where he wanted to thrive in something that felt really good for him, and his mother's fear held him back, right? In this particular instance, um, he never got that opportunity to play the sports he wanted to, and actually his mom um, decided that he needed to play an instrument. And she had it in her mind that playing an instrument was good for him, and that's what he needed to do, despite the fact that it went against what he really wanted to do. He was like an active boy, and it felt really good for him to get out and play soccer and play different sports and, you know, just be energetic in that way, be active in that way. And he... Is angry with his mom you know on some level what happens in these situations is that we tend to have an emotional reaction and we often um, suppress it in Mm -hmm. some manner but it lives within us and then it comes out in different ways at different times in reaction to maybe feeling oppressed by somebody else like maybe a boss says something to us that feels you know not acceptable or we're angry about and we inadvertently like take out our feelings from, you know, 10, 20 years ago into that situation without even knowing it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the scary part. And that's kind of what therapy is about is helping identify where our emotional reactions are coming from. Another piece of it is that it teaches us not to trust ourselves Mm -hmm. because you know we're here thinking right as whatever say 10 year old kid like oh this is what i want to do and this feels good and then someone an adult comes in and tells us no it's bad right and we start to and you know we're trying to make sense of ourselves right so like we're 10 years old we're thinking like oh i thought this was good and the and some adult comes in and goes no it's bad and it's scary and and we get confused and in these instances we actually get taken kind of further from who we really are and people might say like well what does that even mean and it's like in that moment we let a part of ourselves go and over time like a lot of those experiences will keep doing that to such an extent that we like become so far from who we really are like we're basically out of touch with our own needs and how we really feel and what we really want with a multitude of those experiences like they're they're kind of like little traumas that add up if that makes any sense mm-hmm. yeah absolutely
0: um so maybe you could tell us a little bit of background as far as sure when you decided you wanted to go into therapy Mm -hmm. and
1: what your, um, career as a therapist has been like so far. Um, so I'm one of those people who knew like as young as I can remember that I was going to be a therapist. Um, it's like my soul knew it. It's a part of who I was always meant to be. There was never a thought in my mind like, Oh, maybe I'll do this. It's like, no, 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 I'm going to be a therapist, always. Um, and so I felt very clear on that my whole life. Um, the problem that I had is that because of my, you know, life experience and my many traumas like that, I didn't know who I was. So I knew at some point, and this is funny, because when I went to see Stephanie myself, I, um, I remember saying to her, I know I need to be here, but I'm not really sure why. You know, I knew I needed to be there because I wanted to be a therapist and I explained that to her, but I didn't have any understanding of what my issues and my traumas were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me today that's it's like shocking to think back to that time and go, wow, I really like had no idea. Um and then I actually talk about in the book how She said to me, you know, in our first session together, tell me who you are. And the only thing I could really tell her was who I was in respect to other people Mm -hmm. or like the roles I played in my life. I really had no understanding of who I just was without all of those things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, oh, I'm a student and I'm a daughter and I'm a sister and I'm, you know, I'm these things. But there was no concept of like, well, who am I? Who am I beyond that? Um, and I think that's how I lived my life. Like, I just was whoever I was to other people instead of who is Alana, independent of all of those things. And so I talk about in the book how I remember Stephanie's face when I gave her that, those responses, and she looked at me like, wow, you know, you really don't know who you are. Um, And I was like, what does that even mean? You know, like it was just like, what is that? I don't know what you're saying. Um, And she went in to explain what she thought that, you know, we are, which is now kind of what I believe as well, which is the idea that we kind of come into this world as perfect beings and through our life experiences that we're – taken away from who it is that we really are and then really this journey in life is about kind of coming back to that place and shedding all of the stuff that's happened to us and reconnecting with like our soul and our purpose um and not letting ourselves just be taken you know on somebody else's path or or whatever um and so you know, Stephanie really, she's, she's my mentor to this day. I have other mentors now too, thankfully, but she really helped, um, me have like a strong foundation and understanding of what my woundings and trauma, um, are and how, and that, that really informed how I came to be as a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, and thankfully when I went to see her, I was really just starting my career and I hadn't seen, you know, I, I had been in it for a couple of years, but I really hadn't um fully started my journey. And she really kickstarted what my therapy came to be with other people. Mm-hmm. Um and I first went into the addictions field out of graduate school. Um and that's like, that was my primary foundational work. And it was great because addictions really teach us about codependency. And, and I believe about perfectionism too. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, what I came to realize is that underneath addiction is codependency and perfectionism. right? And I never understood that. And, you know, people listening to this may say like, what are you talking about? And I plan to talk about that a lot more, but that was, like, the foundation of my work, Um, and then from there, I did did that for quite some time, and then I went on to build my own practice after that, and that's what I do to this day, and now my focus, instead of being with people who are maybe actively in addiction, I still uh, do a good amount of people in recovery work, um... But really it's focusing on those foundational issues that are underneath the addictive stuff Um, and doing a lot of work with families of addicts and um, people who are doing other types of addictions that are non-traditional maybe work maybe food maybe sex whatever Um, that's where more of my work is now Mm -hmm. so just to touch on that idea of Mm -hmm. like what is she talking about and for
0: me the word or the idea of a perfectionist was really not until the last few years mm-hmm. became kind of clear. Um, I think that initially when you think of a perfectionist, you think of somebody who has their life completely yes. in order. <laughs> right. Whereas somebody pointed out my perfectionist tendencies, but how it plays out in my life is that I, before even attempting to create or do I, um, I, what's the word? Um, like I screw it up for myself ahead of time because there's a part of me that knows it's not going to be perfect. Yeah. And that I only want to do something if it is going to be perfect. Right. So, um, as far as just kind of quickly maybe pointing
1: to how that idea plays into addiction. Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting thing. Um, what I find, it's funny because when I'm working with families of people who are struggling with addiction, um, they very they tend to take what they see in their child or, you know, whoever it is, behavior for face value, you know. And when we do that, we miss out on kind of what's going on that might be creating that behavior, which I, oftentimes is can be like the actual opposite of that so for example like a parent will say to me how could my kid be struggling with perfectionism when they're flunking out of school like they're so far kind of to your point of what you're saying they're so far from that idea and Mm -hmm. i'm like you know the reason that you're not seeing it is because you're looking at the flunking and thinking that your kid doesn't care and oftentimes, in fact, they care too much, mm-hmm. right? They care, they care so much that they're flunking out of school, right? right? Because they can't bring themselves to try and fail. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to fail up front, exactly right. what you just said, right? Um, people have a hard time understanding that that can be really strongly connected with per- perfectionism. I mean, you know, I work primarily at this point with a lot of people who are doing pretty okay in life meaning you know they they pretty much have their life together in various ways like they're working they have a job they you know take care of themselves whatever but and when i point out the perfectionistic issues that they're having they'll say something to me like but i'm not perfect so i can't be a perfectionist and i'm like it, it, only a perfectionist would say something like that right like it's not the fact that we actually are perfect that makes us a perfectionist or that we have everything looking a particular way it's our underlying motivation and how we speak to ourselves when when it doesn't go the way that we want it to you know that's that's when you can tell if someone's a perfectionist Mm -hmm. in the language and that they use when they're speaking about their achievements or lack of achievements or whatever it is, mm-hmm. if that, All right. uh, hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I feel like we sat down and this is, <laughs> I mean, really the first time both of us are doing this yeah. and we weren't really sure um, how it was going to go. And I feel like it's gone pretty well. Yeah. And um, maybe we can, before wrapping it up, mm-hmm. just maybe touch on some of the things that you'd like to speak to
1: in our future episodes on the codependent perfectionist sure yeah i mean for me these these dynamics show up in every aspect of life so you know the book that i'm writing right now is about parenting and i love talking about it in relation to parenting especially as a parent myself it's such a a big thing and it for me i feel that we have a responsibility to really like to really work on how we're raising our youth and making sure, you know, we're doing so in an effective way, but this can be seen in every area of life. So I'd love to talk about how this plays out in leadership, how it plays out in our relationships with our spouses, relationships with friends is a huge one. Um, Our relationship with Mm ourselves, with our work, you know, all of that stuff, um, is so relevant. And any topics that anyone wants to hear about, I'm always happy to talk about. Yeah. Great. So maybe we, um, for anybody listening, we'll post
0: some links that if you have questions, if you feel like now is the time for you to maybe try out therapy, um, we'll point you in some directions to help you get started. Um, and again, this was
1: Alana Carvalho, uh, the name of your practice. Um, So I have my own practice that's called Alana Carvalho Therapy, um, but I also have a group practice that's intuitive healing psychotherapy practice, and um, it's really wonderful. We have a lot of different therapists with all different modalities um, and specializations, so yeah, I'll give you the info to check both of those out. Beautiful.
0: All right, thank you so much, and until next time.